0: You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. We are in our fifth message in this epic series and I want to invite you to open to 1st Samuel chapter 1. We've been learning that the Bible simply has one epic story and every time we open our Bibles we are reading the unfolding epic story of Jesus and so no matter who the characters are whether it's Old Testament or New Testament it is one epic story with one epic hero and what is his name? It's Jesus. Now, if you've been following along, um, we're in the seventh book of the Bible. And the last time we were together, we were in the second book of the Bible. So you should be asking, what? have I missed in those five chapters? Well, let me c- kind of summarize for you in about two minutes uh, about 500 years of ancient history. Are you ready? Uh, here's what happened. You remember this whole promise started when God called to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God made a promise that He would bless Abraham even though He only deserved a curse. God was going to reverse the curse, bless Abraham, and then He was going to use Abraham and his descendants to become a great nation, to bless all the nations of the earth. God gave Abraham a son. His name was Isaac. We we found out there's a price to this promise. And God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, but He stopped him. And in a sense, that promise was resurrected. And then we found out that at the end of the book of of Genesis, um, the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, had been enslaved by the nation of Egypt. And God raised up a man, his name was Moses, to confront Pharaoh and said, Let my people go and serve me. And so through the Passover, through the crossing of the Red Sea, God once again resurrected that promise. And then in the wilderness, here's what you missed in those five books of the Bible, God gives those people His law and says, If you obey my law, you'll get continued blessing. If you disobey, it's not going to go great for you. God gave them His presence. The people built the tabernacle so they could gather to worship Him as we have worshiped Him this morning. And so then uh, they're led to the Jordan River. And remember, Joshua takes them across the Jordan River into the promised land. And we covered that whole book of Joshua a couple of years ago if you were here. At the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua dies. And then for the next several hundred years, God gives His people Judges. That's the book of Judges that you have in your Bible. And not so great Judges, okay, but not great, not God's perfect plan. And yet, at the end of the book of Judges, there's a, a good judge. His name is Samuel. He was the best and the final judge. And yet, the people were not so impressed with those Judges. And they said, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 5... We want a king everybody else has a king why can't we have a king kind of like your kids ask for an iPhone everybody else has an iPhone why can't I have an iPhone? how many am I the only one am I the only one okay so that's it's ingrained in human nature to ask for things that you shouldn't probably have so they're asking we want a king because all the other nations have a king so they don't want judges they don't want God they want a king God says I am your king we want a king so he gives them a king and what was his name does anybody know Bible trivia time King Saul, first king in Israel. It started out good, decent start, handsome, tallest, best-looking dude, right? He would have made a fine candidate for the bachelor, um, and he, he was—he's got a good start. But then he started to depart and disobey God until finally we get to 1 Samuel fifteen. And God rejects him. In actually 1 Samuel 16, if you're in that vicinity, look at verse 14. Chapter 16, verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit of the Lord tormented him. Not not a good day for Saul. And so the next uh, part of that chapter tells us about a replacement king. A young shepherd boy. His name was David. David. He was the youngest in his family, he was the least, he had the, le- the worst occupation, he was a shepherd, smelled like a sheep. And so that's the guy that God says, that's going to be your king. Why? What qualified him? We find out later it's because he had a heart after God, a man after God's own heart. And then we get to chapter 17 finally, and we find out that the armies of Israel Who are supposed to be occupying this promised land are confronted by a rival army, the Philistines, that should have been wiped out a couple of hundred years ago when Joshua came in because Joshua wanted, God told Joshua to subdue all of those Canaanites and kick them out. They didn't, they compromised, made a peace treaty. So we have Philistines, giants in the land, and here they come on one side of this valley, on the mountainside we have the armies of Israel, on the other side of the valley we have the armies of the Philistines. So I would like to create that right here in the worship center today, okay? We're going to divide the the, the worship center right down the aisle here. This side gets to be the armies of the people of God. Aren't you jealous? Aren't you jealous? All right, there you are, that's good. And so you're lined up on this side of the valley and you're confronting the ugliest, baddest, most evil people uh, on this side of the valley, okay? You guys get to be the Philistines. What would a bunch of Philistines sound like? You got it. Excellent. We are into the sermon today. You're all in the sermon today, okay? So this is where we pick up the story and the point we're trying to make is this we find god's people paralyzed by the enemy go ahead and throw that point up for me and let's look at the scripture beginning in first samuel 17 verse 4 if you're with me grunt there you go we're right into it and there came out from the camp of the philistines a champion Everybody underlined the word champion in verse 4, and everybody put quotes around the word champion. If you were telling this story verbally, you would be using air quotes at this point. A champion. And by the way, what was his name? Goliath, you've heard this story. Does anybody not know this story? I mean, you could tell this story. just If you've never even read the Bible, if you're not a believer, if you don't even believe the Bible, you know this story, right? I mean, it's, it's in the headlines, we see it all the time. There's a best-selling book right now by Malcolm Gladwell, David and Goliath. He does a TED Talk, David and Goliath. Everybody knows this story. You know what's about to happen here. But I want to venture to tell you, almost everybody tells it wrong. Malcolm Gladwell, incredible book. I love the book, I love the insight, but he misses the main point of the whole story. Most sermons and Sunday school lessons you've heard on this text are told wrong. If I do my job right, you do your job right. We're going to hear it through the lens of an epic rescue and an epic hero. And his name is not David, Let's continue to read. Let's find out about how impressive Goliath was. Verse 5 says, He had a helmet, a helmet of bronze on his head, which is a good place for a helmet, and he was armed with a coat of mail. Now, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you have an NIV, you see that what it says is scale-like armor. It was scale armor. What do you think of when you think of scale? Fish or snake, Right. Like, like a snake, like it just covers, uh, like shingles on a roof, uh, like a snake. He had a snake like, scale like armor on him. It tells us how much it weighed. Uh, and the coat was 5,000 shekels. Well, that clears things up. How many shekels do you weigh? Like, I have no idea. Um, about 125 pounds. All right. How many of you don't even weigh 120? You know, I won't even say that. That's not proper to ask in church, but. The dude is carrying the equivalent of a small woman on his back. It's a sca- 125 pounds. The dude was big. It tells us how tall he was. Verse, um, oh, I skipped that part. Look back up in verse 4. It tells us how tall he was. It says, whose height was six cubits. How many cubits are, you know, um, somewhere between six foot nine and nine foot nine. He was a giant. Of a man, and now he's got skill like armor. He says, he's "Got a helmet." Verse six says he's got uh, he's got uh, bronze armor on his legs. He's got a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. Verse seven says he has a spear, um, and he, it says he has a shield bearer. A, I guess a little boy that came with him because of all the stuff that he needed to carry so that he could win this battle. It Goes on in verse eight. It says he stood and shouted to the ranks. Of Israel. Uh, this would be your part. Do you see what the script is there in your hand? Are you ready to say this together? Here we go. It says, say it with me. Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let them come down to me. That's excellent. That was awesome. That was good. Now notice what he says. He says, Choose a man. You see, this was a very uh, uh, popular way to fight back in those days. You got two, people on, two groups of people on the sides of the hill. Instead of one taking the initiative and coming down into the valley to, to come up. What's going to happen if one army comes down off the mountain and comes down here? They're dead. What if, what if the other army comes down off their mountain and comes into the valley? What happens? They're dead. And so they're in a standoff. I think verse 16 says they had been standing off for 40 days. They'd been staring at one another. Finally, they say, let's do hand-to-hand combat. You choose your best man, we'll choose our best man, and we will have a fight right here in the valley. The only problem was, their best man was nine feet, nine inches tall. (laughs) Who should have come down from the Israelites to fight Goliath? Saul. That's what Goliath actually says. He he says, your servants of Saul, if Saul's too big of a coward to come out here, then send somebody Let's do warfare. He says, you choose the man. By the way, that is an excellent question. If I do my job right, you do your job right. Before you leave today, you're going to make a choice. You are going to choose the man who will fight your giants. Saul said, I'm out. Um, And and he wouldn't want to go. So Goliath says, you choose the man. Verse 9 says, if he is able to fight, which I doubt. uh, If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Verse 10, and the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And verse 11, when Saul... And all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. Everybody underline the word dismayed. And greatly afraid. Now think about why they were afraid. They were looking at someone who appeared to be invincible, and it paralyzed them to move. Now, you may look at this like, is there really anybody that's that tall? Have you ever heard of this guy? You ever heard that guy? Uh, that is Robert Wadlow. He lived in Chicago. He was a real dude. And um, he, at the time this picture was taken, he was 22 years old, 8 feet, 11 inches tall. And when he died at the age of 24, he was still growing. And um, he suffered from a disease called acromegaly. And it's a real thing. It's a benign tumor that settles in on the pituitary gland and causes an accelerated growth hormone just to continually grow you into a giant. Andre, any Andre the Giant fans out there? He had this disease. And it's speculated that possibly um, Goliath had this disease. It made him grow into a giant of a man. And so, seeing someone that towered over them, Saul was dismayed and greatly afraid. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever been there? Have you ever faced any of those kinds of giants? It's probably not a nine foot, nine inch man. But it could be something that actually paralyzes you to obey God, to act in faith, to do what God has told you to do, to believe the promise. You are facing some kind of giant. Maybe it's caught you off guard. Maybe you're living in fear that something's going to overtake you. It's made you dismayed. It means I do not know what to do at this particular moment. I'm confused. I don't have an answer. I don't have resources. I'm out of options. I realize I'm undersized. I'm under-resourced. I'm an underdog. And I'm terrified and I'm paralyzed. Who are we talking about? There's real people in here. I know there are people in church today because I know their stories. There are people here that this week got a diagnosis of terminal illness. And their giant is cancer. And as terrifying as that is... There's a 13 year old girl in here today that is just as terrified of not getting the attention from a 13 year old boy as that person is from being diagnosed with cancer. Terror and fear in the face of all kinds of perceived giants that we are paralyzed by. Now having said that, I want you to understand that there are two ways to read your Bible. And the way you read this story is going to determine whether or not you are able actually to survive an encounter with that kind of giant. Here's the two options. Either the Bible is basically a book about me or the Bible is basically a book about Jesus. Now, if you've come to Harvest Bible Chapel any time at all, how do we read this thing? Do do we like to come in here and stroke you and tell you you're awesome? Or do we read the story and say, Jesus is awesome on the best day. You're you're not. (laughs) That's so we're going to go with the second option. But the reason why people get this story wrong is because they read this story as if it's basically about me. How have you heard this taught to you? How have you read this story? Here's the thing. Here's the mistake. We naturally want to insert ourselves into the story, which you should do. We've learned that every page is about me and it's about Jesus. But we want to insert ourselves in the story at verse 12. What's verse 12 say? Now, David, you see, God presents this hero. And here he comes. He's an unlikely hero. He's undersized, but we know how the story ends, right? He's going to take down a giant. And so we want to insert ourselves and say, oh, to be like David. Yes, I have giants in my life, but if I will just overcome my fears, if I will just Face my giants. There have been movies made about this. If I just face my giants and overcome my fears, if I would just ignore those fears, I can fight and I can win because deep down on the inside of me, there is a champion. So I'm going to train like a champion. I'm going to play like a champion today. Side note, side note. That sign hung in the Oklahoma University football team locker room 30 years before Lou Holtz hung it in the Notre Dame locker room in 1986. (laughs) Just a side note, do unapologetic preaching around here, okay? (laughs) But the moral of this story is not to inspire you to play like a champion today. You are not David, turn to your neighbor and say, you are not David. You are not a champion. And you know it because you got beat this week. You failed. You're a loser. Turn to your neighbor. Yeah, and I mean, come on, admit it. Did you win every battle this week? No, how many of you lost the battle this week? How many of you fought? How many of you turned and ran in the other direction when you saw the giant? You're like, hide now. You're like, you are not David. You need to insert yourself in the story, but you are not David. Don't insert yourself in verse 12. Insert yourself at verse 11. You are Saul. You are dismayed and afraid and you should be because there's no way you can win this fight against your greatest enemy and so don't say to yourself i can do all things through christ's strength to me give me a giant you're dead because <laughs> you're afraid and you're dismayed don't misinterpret the story and don't misinterpret Philippians 4.13. So how should you read this story? You need to confess, Lord, I can't win. I need a champion to go fight for me. A battle that I can't win. Let me ask you this. What are you afraid of? It's five fears that we are afraid of. We're afraid of failure. And we should be because we know we're failures. We, feel, we, we fear losing an ability are losing the ability to perform, we don't win the trophy. We don't win. On, I can't even win the battle over my own anger and my own flesh and my own sin appetites. And my, it, it, I can't even win as a husband to love the way that I'm supposed to love. And I can't win as a parent. I can't always be there to do the things that I wish I knew how to do. And, and on my best day, I know I'm a failure. And so I fear being known as a failure. I, I, I fear somebody else. Ign- seeing that I'm a failure. And so what do we do? We try to hide we try to cover up. We try to look strong. We try to act like we're a champion. And all you're doing is you're, you're just, you're afraid of being a failure. You're afraid of criticism. You're afraid of, afraid of people pointing out your weakness or pointing out your poor performance. You're afraid of losing acceptance or attention from a peer group, or maybe from uh, your, your parent or your child or a friend, or like that 13-year-old girl. It's, why doesn't anybody pay attention to me? And, and why can't I ever please my teacher? And does she even know that I exist? And why can't, I, you, we're afraid of criticism. We're afraid of loneliness. We're afraid of going through life alone. We're afraid of losing a relationship, maybe losing a marriage or or, or losing a boyfriend or girlfriend. We're we're afraid of losing a, a mom or a dad. We're afraid of suffering. Now here's where it gets real. When life gets hard and the diagnosis from the doctor is terminal, we fear losing peace. We fear losing the grace to be able to handle situations that are out of our control, battles we can't win. And we ought to fear those things. And we fear death. Come on, now it's real. Is there anything on the other side of death? Is there any way I'm getting out of this thing alive? We don't like to think about that. But when you go to a funeral, You're forced to think about your own mortality. So we fear losing health, we fear losing life. And some people, I'm I'm amazed at how many people fear losing their salvation. Listen, your salvation is not dependent upon your ability to win the fight. Your salvation is dependent upon Jesus' ability to win the fight with sin. If He's ever defeated, now you better lose. You better fear losing your salvation. He's never lost one, He's undefeated. And so you don't have to fear losing your salvation, but you still do. Why is that? Because we don't read the story the way God intended it to be read. If you're afraid of these things, then you need a representative champion to go fight for you. Not with you, for you, an unwinnable fight that only he can win. You see, the enemies of God still taunt the sovereignty of God. And like Israel, I need somebody to go fight for me. And we don't need to eliminate our fears. We need something to motivate us to face our fears And fight in the face of the fear. Good news. The story doesn't end in verse 11. If we got what we deserved, the Bible ends in verse 11. But we have David who enters the scene. Skip over to verse 32. And David said to Saul... Let no man's heart fail for Are you guys paying attention? You you guys represent David over here. You're the the armies of, of Israel. You want to try that with me? Here it is. Look at it. Verse 32. What are we supposed to say? Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And so David says, there's no reason for heart failure here. Quit freaking out. I will go and fight. I'm a servant. I'm going to serve you by risking my life to fight for you. So the story continues. Look down at verse 36. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. Really? He has already won fights with lions and bears. How many feel like you had some fights with lions and bears this week? They're like, oh, man, it's like, listen, all of the fighting with lions and bears is just to prepare you for the fight with the giant that's coming next week. So it's not gonna get any easier. He says, this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, okay, (laughs) go for it. The Lord be with you, be warmed and filled. We'll be praying for you. And I, we don't even know if Saul really believes this is going to turn out well, but he's like, all right, we'll, we'll give you a, sh- a shot. So the story continues down in verse 40. What did David do? Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. So imagine what's going on here. Malcolm Gladwell, in his book, David and Goliath, gives some great insight on kind of ancient uh, warfare. And he identified there's actually three types of ancient warriors in ancient warfare going that was going on during this time. He said, first of all, there's the cavalry. You know what the cavalry are? That's like the Canadian Royal Mounted Police, right? They, they ride animals and they cover great distance and they're fast. And so they, they were very effective warriors. The second type of warrior was a, uh, an infantry warrior. That's clearly who Goliath is. He's got armor, he is locked in, he's ready to do hand to hand combat. That's the type of war and the type of fight he was prepared to fight. But there's a third type of ancient warfare and it's artillery. Now we're not talking about bombs and guns because that hadn't been invented yet. But they had archers and arrows and they had slingers and stones. David was going to fight this guy who was prepared to fight with infantry, he was going to fight him with artillery. And like a good game of paper, scissors, rock, uh, the rock wins every time. Goliath's biggest problem was he brought a sword to a rock fight and David, was going to take him down. And so the story continues. Now, before they actually engage in the battle, just like a good cage mat, there is some trash talking that is classic. And there's the transcript of it right here in the Bible. Okay, you guys ready for this? I want you to respond. I'm gonna read this, but if I'm David and you are the armies listening to me taunt them, I want you to respond that way. And if you guys are the Philistines listening to the Philistine taunt David, I want you to respond the way that you would respond if your champion is out there getting ready to go to war. So look here in verse 41. We read that, verse 42. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David and his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me. How would you, if if you heard Goliath say, come to me, what would you have said? Yeah. Tell him. So try that again. Okay. Come to me. And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beast of the field. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. David responds to the Philistine. You guys ready? You come to me with sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Yeah. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Yeah. But this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down. I will cut off your head. Yeah. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beast of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Nice. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with the sword and the spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into my hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near and met David, David ran quickly. Something Goliath was unable to do. (laughs) Speed and quickness beats slow and big every time. So he arose quickly. He ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Verse 49. And David put his hand in his bag. He took out a stone and he slung it. Now. Imagine this, he pulls out the stone, not one of those toy slingshots like this. It's, it's basically two ropes with a pouch at the end. He's swinging it like this. And as an experienced slinger could get that thing going about six or seven revolutions per second. And he let that thing go. And a good slinger back in the day could throw that rock about twice the speed of a Major League Baseball pitcher, 200 miles an hour. And he had good aim. They could be accurate at distances up to 200 yards. And so he doesn't get close enough to do infantry battle, but he does get close enough to do artillery battle, and it struck the Philistine On his forehead, the stone sank into his forehead and fell on, he fell on his face to the ground. Now what you got to say? (laughs) You're dead. You chose the wrong side of the room to sit on this morning. (laughs) And so this is the story. There is a representative champion that comes out to fight for the people of God. And he wins the victory, and he is a better champion. Now, I want you to notice how that impacted all of you guys on the mountain. Look at verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistines and killed him. And there was no sword in David's hand. And notice how the armies, point three, are filled with bravery, Look at how it impacts them. Look at verse 51. And David ran and stood over the Philistines and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath. And he killed him, cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion, again, you want to put quotes around that champion, he's dead. Their champion was dead. They fled. They sprinted in the opposite direction. Now they're filled with fear. The people of God are filled with courage and bravery. Verse 52, the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout. I totally missed the cue there. You missed the cue. You want another run at that? Here we go. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout. And pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that they wounded the Philistines. They fell on the way uh, from that word that's hard to pronounce. And Gath and Ekron and all that. Verse 53. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. God not only gave them victory. He gave them the spoils of victory. Now. The same is true for us. We've already identified if you're an honest person, there are times you are paralyzed by the enemy. And yet we have an opportunity to look at, to trust in this one who gains the victory. He rescues us, saves us With the victory over this enemy, and now we should be filled with bravery. And so, as we look at David, remember here it's okay to look at David, but let's let's understand the the rest of the story here. If you read over in the New Testament, the commentary back on this story, what we find out in in chapter eleven of Hebrews, it tells us you got David who by faith won this victory over the enemy. But when you get to chapter 12, he wants us to get our eyes off of David and he wants us to keep our eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12, 2, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Notice, who's he? The champion. The champion who initiates and perfects faith. Do you have faith this morning? Um, Lot or a little. Yeah. Yeah. I got some faith. I have trouble on, on even my good days to have all the faith that I need. And so here's the great news even if you have a little bit, where'd that come from? God gave that to you. God, Jesus, the champion who initiates faith. Faith doesn't start with you to try to work up some mustard. I'm not gonna fear today. I wanna walk in faith. No. You get all of that from Jesus. He initiates and secondly, He perfects our faith. I trust that what is happening to you this moment and this week is that God has perfected faith a little more in you than you had yesterday. A little more this week than you had last week. A little more this year than you had last year. Why? Because you're keeping your eyes on Jesus and recognizing I don't have to fight my own battles. I don't have to conquer my giants. I don't have to face my giants. Jesus has already stepped in and fought the biggest giant for me. And so we understand this story. How do we win the battle? God doesn't give us David as an inspirational champion. God gives us Jesus as a substitutionary champion. The purpose of this story is not to give us an example to follow in David. It's to give us a substitute to trust for the victory. The purpose of the story is not to give us an example to fight like him. It's to give us a champion that can fight like we can't. The purpose of the story is not just to give us someone to fight with us, alongside of us. It's to give us someone who has fought instead of us, in place of us, and as us. The victory David won applied to the whole army of Israel, but only one did the fighting. And that is true of the story, the epic story of the whole Bible is that God has given a champion that fights in our place and His victory accomplishes things that we could never accomplish on our own. Think about the parallels between Jesus and David. Where was Samuel from? It tells us in this chapter. He was from Bethlehem. Do you know any other famous people that came from Bethlehem? Yeah, uh, Jesus, I think, was born in a major in Bethlehem. David entered into this wilderness after 40 days to fight Goliath. You know what Jesus did? Jesus entered into a wilderness for 40 days to fight Satan. And he fought and he won that battle. Right before that, David was anointed by Samuel in chapter 16. It tells us the Spirit descended on him right before he went into the wilderness. You know what Jesus did right before he went into the wilderness to fight with Satan? He was baptized. The Spirit descended on him like a dove. And we're told that David fought Goliath who wore this scale-like, snake-like armor. In the Garden of Eden, Satan puts on this snake like appearance to attack the people of God. And we're told in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I've showed you this verse a couple of times in this series. God, after Adam and Eve sinned, God told that snake like person, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Enmity means uh, war. Did anybody feel like you were in a war this week? Did not feel like you had any spiritual opposition? It's because of the curse. God says there's going to be this spiritual war that's going to go between Satan and the woman, the offspring of the woman, between the offspring of the woman, human beings, and the offspring of Satan, which are all of his minions. And and, and the promise is this. Here's an epic promise. He, the offspring of the woman, will bruise your head. Where did David hit Goliath? In the head. Did it cause a bruise? You bet it did. It was a fatal blow. Now he shall bruise your heel and that's exactly what happened to Jesus on the cross. Jesus had bruises on him and was bloody and and Satan gave his best effort but Jesus absorbed the wrath of God and the evil... It was initiated on on the planet here. And yet, as Jesus died on that cross, do you know what he did? He crushed the head of Satan. Here's the reality. Your greatest giant is not criticism. It's not cancer. It's not being rejected by somebody from whom you want their attention. Your greatest giant is sin and death. That is a battle you cannot win. And so Jesus was your representative champion, and he took the blows of the enemy, and he crushed his head on the cross in that epic battle, and his victory applies to all in whom will his epic victory applies to all who will believe in him as their representative Champion. And so what are you afraid of for crying out loud? You should be filled with bravery. Yes, you're a failure. Admit it. Try to hide that. Don't try to cover it up. Admit it, but then believe that Jesus has won your forgiveness. You fail God every day. You fail your spouse every day. You fail yourself every day. But receive the forgiveness that was won for you on the cross by Jesus. Don't be afraid of criticism. You've got more things to criticize about yourself than anybody will ever know. And so, yeah, you're you got critics, but understand this, Jesus has won your acceptance. The Father doesn't criticize you anymore. Now, he disciplines you because he wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to be more like Jesus. But you don't have to fear the criticisms of others. Don't be a people pleaser, be a God pleaser. You don't have to fear loneliness anymore. Even in your loneliest moment, God is there because Jesus won God's presence. On the cross, God turned away from Jesus. The Father forsook Jesus. On the cross, Jesus experienced all the loneliness that anyone could ever suffer so that you would never have to be lonely again. God, Jesus won God's presence. He won that victory over that giant of loneliness. How about the giant of suffering? Yeah, you're going to be hurt. You're going to get a terminal diagnosis one day. You're going to have people that you want attention from. You don't get it. But understand this. Jesus has won your peace. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. No suffering, no discomfort that you will ever face is greater than the grace that God wants to provide in that moment, in that valley, in the midst of your greatest battle. He is with you. And finally, death. Your greatest enemy is death and you should fear death. But understand this, you have a representative champion that overcame death himself. And the only way you're getting out of this alive is if you let him do the fighting. Lay down your armor. Quit trying to fight for yourself. Quit thinking that if I had the girlfriend, if I had a better husband, if I had more money in the bank, if I got the attention, if I had a better job, then somehow I would do better in the fight. No, you wouldn't. Those are weapons you don't need to use. The only weapon you have is faith in what He did for you in your place, on the cross, on your behalf. And as you fight this week, you can be filled with bravery knowing the only enemy that could kill you is dead. The champion's dead. And it should cause you to chase the victory. The Israelites didn't stay up on the mountain once they realized the enemy was dead. They got engaged in the fight. The reality is this. There is a little Goliath that still lives on the inside of me. And every day he needs his head chopped off. Is that true of you or am I the only one? Fleshly appetites and bad attitudes and sin habits and all that stuff is like, oh, i got to fight that again. Every day sin needs to be killed. It needs to be mortified. And Jesus does it as I exercise faith in him as my champion who's already won the eternal battle. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Don't check out on me. Stay in the fight with me here. What do you fear? What do you worry about? What are you anxious about? What do you have panic attacks over? Why can't you sleep? You know what it is? You've got a Goliath that is defying the armies of the living God. David fought that battle and Jesus fought that battle so that the world would know that there is a God who fights for his people. And that's what God wants you to know this morning. Will you right now lay down your weapons, surrender, forfeit the battle, and say, Jesus, I trust that the victory that you have won over sin, over death, is sufficient for me. If you've never become a Christian, if you've never acknowledged, I am a failure, even as I walk through that session, I can sense some of you are like, I'm not a failure. I'm awesome. Yeah, that's what's going to keep you from winning the ultimate battle. Those of us that are Christians have admitted we are failures. We lose every day. We can't win the fight. That's why we need Jesus. If you've never admitted that by faith, why don't you admit it? Lay down your weapons. Quit fighting with God. Jesus has already won that victory for you. Embrace Him by faith. At the end of the service, there'll be pastors here. You can come and say, I want to acknowledge. I give up I'm trusting Jesus. We'll schedule your baptism. We'll let the world know there's a God not only in Israel, there's a God inside of you. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for stepping forward as our servant so we won't have to be servants of sin any longer. And I pray for my friends here that all the fears and the worries and the anxiety and the panic attacks, that they would just fade in the distance and we would be filled with bravery as we know the only enemy that can really kill us is dead. Thank you. We believe. faith that the victory is already won. We trust you in Jesus name.